It's Daily Thunder, the truth of Jesus Christ dished out live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado with a bit of manly grit and gusto. Find out more at live.ellerslie.com. Now, here's today's special guest, Dan McConaughey. Thank you, Lord, that you are our God and that you have humbled yourself to the point of calling us your people. Thank you, Father. I ask, Father, this morning that you would bless the speaking and the hearing. And I thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. How many of you were here Sunday, or, for those who are listening, heard it on Sunday when Eric preached a sermon on what? His daily thunder Sunday was what? No. Instant obedience. And what was the text? Ezekiel, right. Ezekiel. Okay, so I have this morning a presentation on one of the names of God. It's actually not a name. It's a title. And it's not just a title, it's actually a call to a, um, it's a call to action. And it's the term, it's the name, or the title, Adonai. Adonai is not a name, it's a title. It's like if we would call somebody sir or master. And so in Psalm uh, 16, I believe it is, it comments, I said to Yahweh, Lord, you are my Lord, Adonai. It doesn't say, I said to my Lord, you are Yahweh. He says, I said to Yahweh, the name of God, you are my Lord, the title of God. Okay? Now, that word, Adonai, is used about 430 times in the Old Testament. 222 times it's used in the book of Ezekiel. That means over half the time it's used in Ezekiel. And it's going to give us an inkling of understanding as to why the title of the Daily Thunder on Sunday was instant, and it had to do with what kind of obedience? Instant obedience, right. So, taking a look at the title, it actually is an extremely powerful title. Who knows what a despot is? Can somebody give me a, an example of a well-known despot? I'll start from a lesser well-known despot, okay? Pol Pot. Very less well-known, right? (laughs) Have you ever heard of the Killing Fields? 
Pol Pot was the leader of Cambodia when, they, when he oversaw the killing of several million Cambodians in the killing fields. And he is considered a despot. We'll go to one a little bit worse than Pol Pot. Who might it be? Hitler. Hitler. We know him for killing how many Jews, approximately? What we seldom hear about is the 11 million others that he killed, who were Christians, educated people, poor people, uh, people of another race besides the Jews. He, he hated black people, he hated uh, Asian people, he hated whatever. So we're looking at him with the six million Jews to his account, also 11 million others. He was a despot. Now, the worst one in current, in present times, his name was Joseph Stalin. 22 million people he killed. He had killed. In his reign of terror, 22 million people. He was a despot. The word despot is a Greek word, despotes, and it refers three times in the New Testament to Jesus. I said, whoa, that's scary. Despotes. Despot means one who has absolute, unrestricted authority, right, and power over those he rules over. So, if we have a guy like Stalin who was an atheist, a hater of God, he's not going to have, be a good ruler. But he will still, by virtue of being a despot, have unrestricted and absolute authority, right, and power to do whatever he chooses to do with the people he rules over, just like Jesus has that. So Adonai happens to be that word in Hebrew. Unrestricted. It means possessor, master, dictator, owner, lord, ruler, boss, sovereign. It is, he has absolute ownership and authority. It's kind of a, a scary thing. It's not just a name, it's not just a title, but it defines a relationship. Now, have you ever heard of, what is it, is it Rochbach's um, psychological test where you look at an uh, um, ink spot and you say what it means to you? you he shows you an ink spot. He says, okay, you know, what's this? And you say, it looks like a butterfly. Well, what's this one look like? Oh, that one looks like a lamb. We have a way, there is a way that people try to do things, and it's called by word associations. So if I was to say lake, how would you associate that? Hmm? Water. Water, okay. 
Now, we also do opposite associations. If I was to say cold, hot. If I was to say light, dark. If I was to say master, slave. Isn't that interesting? Master and slave. We have in Adonai, I keep pointing up here where the word used to be when I was, would give it over there. <laughs> we have, once we call God master, we establish a relationship with him, and that puts us in the position of slave. slave. Now, I say slave because it's a lot easier to say servant. A servant is one who is paid. He's hired to serve. That's what a servant is. A slave is purchased. A slave is owned. A slave is possessed. And you'll find that especially in the New Testament, the word slave, out of the 124 times it's used, is translated as servant. Because the King James translators translated at a time when England was trying to eradicate slavery and they thought, we need to soften this. We need to not have this slavery term because it's so um, ugly. And so we lost kind of the view of what it means to be rightly related to God. Because if Jesus is Lord, and he says, do you not know that you are the slave, the temple of God, you've been bought with a price? By being bought with a price, it means we're purchased. It means that we are slaves of Jesus. Now, when we begin to, to consider this issue of slavery, it's really interesting that the, that the topic of adoption that's where it originates in a lot of ways because the only way in the Roman Empire that a master who had bad kids could make sure that his inheritance went to somebody worthwhile, a good slave, was to adopt that slave. That is the way that when the New Testament was written, that was the primary concept of adoption that a master would adopt a slave so that when the master died, the slave would inherit. It didn't change his position as slave. It didn't make him a son, but it made him an inheritor. Now, we have been born again, so we are sons and daughters of God, but we've been bought with a price, which gives us the right to inherit also, which is the issue of the adoption that it brings us into a right relationship, to inherit, right relationship to inherit. But it doesn't change our position as slave. We are still slaves. Now, do we want to be a slave of a guy like Hitler? Nah, that's probably not the right thing. But in Hebrew, Roman, and Greek culture, 
masters were expected on pain of death to be good masters. And the description of a good master is that he provides all you need to do what he wants you to do. In other words, he gives you provision, direction, and protection. That was the definition of a good master, one who provides provision, direction, and protection. Now let me ask you a quick, quick question. That's what a, a master, a good master, was required to do. That's what a good master was required to do. Is Jesus a good master? Yeah. So what is he required to do by virtue of that, based on his character as good? He's required to provide, protect, and direct. Now let me ask you a real quick, very telling question. What's the main things that you pray for? the very things that Jesus, by virtue of his character and position, has said will come your way. And yet we, I'm, this is a tough term for me to say, but we waste a great deal of our prayers praying for what God has already said you're going to get. So we have this master not only does it define a relationship, but it establishes a life commitment and it signifies a call to action. The action that it calls us to is obedience. What kind of obedience? Instant obedience. It establishes a call to humility, meekness, subjection, service, obedience. Now, Here's an interesting thought to go with this. Um, ah, it just slipped my mind, so I'll wait till it comes back in. The first use of it was with Abraham in, in Genesis 15. And it says, The Lord Yahweh said, and Abraham answered him by calling him Lord. And so what we have with that is the establishment that Abraham recognized that he was owned, he was under authority, he was, let me turn this off here, he was owned, he was under authority, he was, God had absolute and unlimited power over him. Now, we love the term bondservant. We love that term. I hear it used all the time. Let me ask you a question. What, what are the two key things that take place in the life of a bondservant? He was a slave, and he was, he was released, right? He was set free. But he chose... To become what? 
to whom? Okay, is that our story? Is it? When I was purchased by Christ, I was freed from what? Sin. I was a slave to sin. Sin was my master. Do you understand where I'm going with this? Am I interested in choosing to be a slave to sin for the rest of my life and get my ear pierced? No, there's a flaw in the bondservant concept. Because I was freed by Christ, and so I chose to be his servant because he purchased me back. Satan was really not all that good of a master. Anybody find any neg- anything negative in Satan being a master in your life? Yeah, you wouldn't want to go back. I encourage you, don't pursue being a bondservant of Satan. I propose that you have a new master, that your master be Jesus. Okay, back to this. Um, I've, I've mentioned several times that as a master, God has absolute, total power, authority, and right in our life. Now, there's a book called The Septuagint, which was translated about 250 to 300 years before Jesus from Hebrew into Greek by 70 scholars, hence the name Septuagint. And every time the term Adonai is used in the Old Testament, in the Septuagint, it's either the term kurios, Lord, or despotis, Lord. So in the New Testament, if Jesus is consistently called kurios or despotis, it's going to refer to the same relationship that we had with God, that they had with God in the Old Testament. It's the same relationship in the New Testament. Now some questions. In Luke 2, the angels came And they said to the shepherds, Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, we love to call Jesus Savior. We love that. Just offhand, how many times in the Gospels is Jesus called Savior? Just a guess, Ben. Five. Okay. Ten. Okay. Three times. How many times is he called Lord? Twenty-four times. The book of Acts. Shall we go through this? This again. In the book of Acts, which is what? It's a history of the apostles going into all the world and preaching the gospel. That's what the book of Acts is about. So how many times do you think in the book of Acts Jesus is called Savior? Hmm? 
two times. How many times is he called Lord? A hundred and two. How many times in all the New Testament is Jesus called Savior? Hmm? Uh, <laughs> 24 times. How many times is Jesus called Lord in the New Testament? 720 times. Why is it, do you think, that we are so preoccupied with Jesus being our Savior and not with him being our Lord? Even though the New Testament is very preoccupied with him being our Lord, but not quite so emphasizing him being our Savior. Why do you think that is? Yes, you. <laughs> You're nodding and smiling, yeah. <laughs> Right. Yep. Sets us free to do what? If he's Savior, he sets us free. Yeah. <laughs> if he's Lord and Savior, he sets us free into slavery. We much prefer being saved, but it's a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That's why Paul comments to the people, he says, come on, guys. Don't you know that you've been bought with a price and you are not your own? So as we, we look at that, it's, it's kind of fun to contrast the concept of Jesus being Lord and so forth with human nature. Do you remember what some of the issues in Scripture are about human nature? What was it that, that uh, Satan said when he fell? He said, I will be like God. Now, if we look at 1 John 2, 15 and 16, where it talks about all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, and when you look back at what the temptation was to Eve in the garden, when she looked at the tree and she says, yeah, I see that it's good for food, it's beautiful to look at, and it's great to make me wise. Those three things. We find that pride. Is there any wonder, and I think I've mentioned this to you guys before, that the term enemy, when it says that God resists the proud, that term for resist means for a commander to set his army in battle array, array and military order against an enemy. So if God resists the proud, are you comfortable with that kind of spiritual warfare in your life? Where God has set his army in battle array and, and military formation against you. That's an area of spiritual warfare I'm uncomfortable with. And yet, I find that a lot of times, the problem that I have that I'm, that I'm attributing to spiritual warfare is that God is against me if I am proud. 
He is actively setting his army, his troops, in battle array against me. And he is Lord, so does he have the right to do that? Yes, he does. Especially in my life. Why especially in my life? Because I have called him my Lord, and in stating you are my Lord, I am also stating I am your slave. And you can do with me as you will. So if he wants to set his army in battle array against me because I am proud, he has every right to it. The description in Scripture, hard-hearted, stiff-necked, turning away, idolatry, adversary, confrontation, resistance, contention, defiance, factious, abrasive, despising, self-love, these are descriptions of people in the Old Testament who claimed Adonai as their God. Is there any wonder that God addressed them the way that he did, sending them into captivity, sending famine, sending all these things their way? What's to be expected, according to Hebrews 10, it says, if that's what happened to the people in the Old Testament, how much greater punishment can we expect as we trample the blood of Christ underfoot and do despite to the Holy Spirit. That's, those are some serious problems that we're dealing with there. Jesus effectively fills both sides in, in his example for us. In other words, when he came, he said, I came to do your will, Father. I delight to do your will. He said, I only speak what I hear the Father saying, and I only do what I see the Father doing. Now, it's pretty interesting to think of that when John says at the end of John that if everything Jesus said and did, now remember, he only said what he heard the Father saying, and he only did what he saw the Father doing. John said that if everything that Jesus said and did were written in books, that the earth was not big enough to contain them all. That's a lot of saying and doing. And Jesus, it says, only said what he heard the Father saying and only did what he saw the Father doing. An example would be from the Old Testament, Noah, Abraham, and Moses, and all three of those, it says the same thing. All that the Lord commanded, they did. All that the Lord commanded, they did. And the example for us on how that happens is Ezekiel. Again, 222 times Adonai is used. That's how Ezekiel referred. It's no wonder that it was instant obedience. He recognized that God, as Adonai, had a control of his life. He was not his own. He'd been called. He'd been purchased. He accepted the call. What happens when you accept the call? You're acknowledging your servant, your slaveness. You're, you're acknowledging your slaveness. When the 
centurion in Matthew 8 came to Jesus, he made a really interesting statement. He said to Jesus, I too am a man under authority. What does that mean about Jesus? That Jesus was under authority. Now, how did he recognize that Jesus was under authority? It's really interesting because it says that he saw him speak words and people were healed. And he saw him speak words and demons were cast out. And he immediately recognized, wow, he's under authority just like I am. And when he described it to Jesus, he said, because I say to this one, go, and he goes. And I say to this one, come, and he comes. And I say to that one, do this, and he does that. In other words, he recognized that because I can say to him, go, and he goes, the only reason I have that authority is because I'm under authority. I have a son who's a uh, Windsor City policeman. And when he was... Um, deputized with the Weld County Sheriff's Department before he got hired on here. He was, I think, six years with Weld. He made the comment that the only authority he has is when he's in uniform with a badge. Because that's, that's how he is given authority. He's, he's under the authority of the badge and under the authority of the uniform. When he's, he, he has certain rights that everybody has when he's not in uniform, but he doesn't have the authority to arrest when he's not in uniform. And it's, it's really interesting that when, when we're under authority, if we take authority, it's a problem. But if we're given authority, and the way that the, the centurions in those days, remember how many people a centurion was over? A hundred. What does the term decimate mean? Anybody know? No? It means ten. It, to decimate, deci means ten. A deciliter is a tenth of a, a liter. So, when the, the term decimate comes from the practice that the centurions had, they had a hundred guys, and that's how they established authority the term decimate, and you think, this is getting kind of scary here. <laughs> he had the guys line up in a line of 100, and he gave the order for every 10th one to step forward. So every 10th one stepped forward, and the centurion, with his own sword, to show that he had authority to do it, walked down and cut the heads off of it. Each of the guys stepped forward. That's where we get the term decimate. Killed ten of his men. Do you think that established his authority? Yeah. He was, he was a scary guy. So he can say to that guy, go, and what do you think he does? <laughs> he goes. You can say to that one, come, and he comes. He says, do this, and he does it. Now, we don't have a God quite like that. But we have, a God, we have a God who demands that kind of response. Instant, continued, 
excellent obedience. That's the response to somebody that we call Adonai or Kurios in Greek or Lord and Master. And do you remember what the rich young ruler called Jesus? Good master, what must I do? He didn't, didn't say anything about being called master. That was a correct statement. But he challenged him on the good part. Remember, he says, uh, why do you call me good? There's only one good. But he didn't say he wasn't good. So we know that he was God, and we know that he was Lord and master. What's our response? Do we deserve to be called the slave? If, if Jesus is a good master, and we know that he is because he gives us good provision, direction, and protection, having received that, can we rightfully be called a good slave? And the big question that I have for us, especially as Americans in this day and age, do we have a high view of slavery in this case? Do we recognize that the best place for us to be is a slave of the best Lord that ever existed? The best Lord that there is. The Lord, our Savior. Yes, he saved us. He saved us from slavery to the devil to slavery to him. And it's interesting that Romans makes it pretty clear that there's only two slaveries. It says you're either a slave to righteousness or a slave to sin. There's not a third option. So you are a slave. You just are. But are you a slave to righteousness, a slave of Jesus, our Lord, or a slave of sin, the devil, the Lord that you were purchased from. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the blessing of being invited into this kind of a relationship where you purchased us with your own blood, you paid the entire price, you committed to being our Lord. And Lord, we commit in Jesus' name to being your people, to being your slaves, to being your sons and daughters. Lord, we recognize all the different aspects of how we're called, different things and so forth, but we recognize that as you being Savior, we are saved, and as you being Lord, we are slaves. So we entrust ourselves to you, our faithful creator, our great Savior, and our great Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Daily Thunder is a production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training and the Bravehearted Media Group. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and see it once again gain the stride of the Spirit emboldened and brave. The Daily Thunder video stream can be watched live daily at 8.15 a.m. Mountain Time, Monday through Saturday, and 7.15 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. Please consider booking a stopover at the lovely Ellerslie campus at the foot of the majestic Rocky Mountains for one day, one week, one semester, or for an entire season. We hope to see you someday soon live and in person. Thanks for listening.